Want to advertise your business in a cost-effective way? It's time to give podcast advertising a try. Research shows a high rate of podcast listeners made a purchase as a result of an ad they heard on a podcast. Visit podbean.com slash brands to launch a cost-effective podcast advertising campaign in minutes. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com slash brands. Welcome to Yolitics, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics. All right. Hey, again, everybody. Thanks for uh, being with us for another week here. Jason Wheeler here with Jason Whiteley, who is uh, working remotely today. Uh, where where are you? And uh, you're on vacation. I know that. Where are you right now? And are you having a beer there? Uh, yes and yes. <laughs> if you're on vacation, oh. you're not having a beer? <laughs> Come on, man. I mean, you're throwing, well, we you're are recording this in the morning. Starting. Yeah. Well, we are recording it in the morning. It's about 7 a.m. Uh, but yes, I'm having a beer before I have breakfast uh, for this. I'm down in uh, towards uh, the Hill Country area, Dripping Springs. Oh, area. nice. So it looks like you're on vacation yourself in the backyard? Uh, no, I have been kicked out uh, into the backyard because there's some remodeling work going on inside the house. And so uh, you wouldn't be able to hear a word I say ah. uh, if I stayed in there, which I, I know that could be actually kind of tempting. True. I'm sure Mrs. Wheeler <laughs> likes that you're outside now, as opposed to uh, always inside. But I'm down here uh, in the Austin area, uh, Dripping Springs area, having an Austin Amber. There you go. Uh, it's an original like ale. That. It's uh, Let's try this thing. And I am having a Carbach. Whoa. It just went everywhere, all over the computer and all over me. That's good. Uh, this is a Love Street Blonde. Hopefully nice. it's good because I've just bathed in it and uh, bathed the electronics in it as well. <laughs> this is good. What could go wrong with that? So we are exactly. So we are, uh, what, 48 hours away from the governor calling the legislature back to session for a special session, likely the first of at least two special sessions, maybe more than that. Who knows what's going to happen over the next 30 days? So because of that, we invited Scott Braddock. He is the uh scott go ahead and chime in here what's your title yeah. the executive editor for the quorum report the publisher well, that's hard first of right? all you, first of all you can call me impressed that you're having beer at seven in the morning uh, <laughs> you guys almost qualify to you know be combatants in texas politics uh editor <laughs> of editor of the quorum report which of course has been called the most influential uh, insiders publication in austin by politico for example texas monthly called me the best sourced journalist at the texas capitol this is what other folks do, right? We're and, journalists, right? We quote other people about what they say. Sometimes it's about me. And and, and, and this is why we have him on, because he is so well-sourced. And this quorum report uh, constantly breaks news down at the Capitol. So if anyone yes. knows what's going on, what to expect, it's going to be Scott. And fortunately, he is not either in his backyard or on vacation. So he took our call for this podcast. Scott, welcome, man. Yeah, I may go ahead and have a cigar while we're doing go this. Go ahead, though. man. It's, if y'all uh, are drinking, I may be smoking. Let's we, do are, we are not here to judge. Um, so uh, you always know what to expect with, with what's going on there in Austin, it seems like, Scott. What are you expecting uh, as we head into this first of what could be several uh, special legislative sessions? Well, it's all about Trump, 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 Trump. As we tape this, of course, uh, the uh, former president is appearing with Governor Abbott on the border, a rainy day uh, down in the Rio Grande Valley. Uh, so I'm not sure what the photo ops are going to be like, but they'll definitely be together. And you remember that as soon as Governor Abbott had the endorsement of former President Trump, 
His opponent uh, in the Republican primary, Don Huffines, who you've had on the show, said he even after that, Huffines argued, no, no, I'm the Trump candidate. Hmm. Some folks were asking me this. Why is it that they chose July 8th to begin this special session? Do you guys want to guess? Uh, so it would be after the Trump endorsement, after the Trump visit to the Valley? I don't know. Well, um, there's one more thing in that Dallas. That's going to be my guess. In Dallas, CPAC. Uh, CPAC, oh, CPAC is yeah. and, and guess who's going to be there for that? Donald mm. Trump. In fact, it's sort of the Donald, the Donald Trump show. He's going to open the big show and he's going to close the big show. It's almost like if you had a, a residence in Vegas. Yeah. Um, so, for, so, for, so, for our <laughs> listeners, though, to understand what CPAC yeah. is, the Conservative Political Action Committee, it's it's widely seen as the place that potential candidates have to go to uh, introduce mm-hmm. themselves to uh, you know the conservative base. Yeah. Scott, fill in from there. But this year it's going to be, it's all over the country every year, somewhere else. Yeah. This year it's going to be, I believe, at the Omni or the Convention Center in downtown mm-hmm. Dallas. Yeah, and this is one of those events where if you're the governor of the state that's hosting it as a Republican, this is a big stage for you as maybe a springboard for something else, as you're saying, right? Um, mm-hmm. And of course, Abbott can go to CPAC. Uh, it starts uh, officially starts the next day on July 9th on that Friday. Uh, but Abbott can go there that weekend, and he can say to that crowd, uh, you know, it, whether you know he's on stage or just you know uh, talking to people. Uh, at the event, he can say, look, we're starting a special session that I myself called down in Austin, and we're going to be doing some of the things that, you know, President Trump and his supporters would like us to do, like ban critical race theory, uh, like uh, go after uh, transgender youth in sports, um, and a few other of those, what a lot of folks would consider uh, red meat for the Republican base, but uh, going after those Trump supporters. And the other thing, of course, that I didn't mention, the biggest thing of all uh, is elections legislation. Uh, this has been the thing uh, that really sort of melted down the Texas Capitol during the regular session and didn't pass Senate Bill 7, uh, the sort of the omnibus and, and omnibus is a big people say you shouldn't use that in news coverage. I really like that word, sh- though. I say we should use it because how will any of us ever know what it means if we never use it? I really like that word. It just basically means an aircraft carrier for uh, everything that you ever wanted to do about whatever that topic is. So we would have an omnibus abortion bill, an omnibus elections bill. um, And that's going to be a big issue uh, during maybe not the first special session, but one of the special sessions that's coming up. And I think you mentioned we may have one or two. I wouldn't be surprised if we had three or four special sessions. Really? Mm -hmm. What you think? It's going to be a crazy year. But, but well, let me ask you why, Scott. I mean, obviously, we know one is going to be reserved for redistricting when when those final numbers come in. But but what maybe. are the what are the other what what are the others you think that might come up if something doesn't pass this session, this special session? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, one thing that was made clear by the governor, you remember, it was a news conference earlier this year where the lieutenant governor Dan Patrick, the little governor as I call him, he had suggested that there should be a special session immediately to deal with a few things, including that transgender legislation, uh, which Governor Abbott said he supported, but he wasn't in a hurry to get that done in a special session. That's why we're not one in, you know, in one already. Um, but when Governor Abbott called the suggestion goofy, remember that? He didn't say that Dan Patrick mm-hmm. was goofy, but he called the mm-hmm. suggestion goofy. Um, he also said that, look, I, as the governor, am the only one who can call a special session, and I'm the only one who can determine what the topics are that are addressed by the legislature. Which is all true. He's asserting his authority. Uh, He also said that unlike some previous special sessions, and remember, he could only be talking about one special session. There's only been one since Abbott became governor. That was in 2017. And at that time, he placed 20 items on the call for for the lawmakers to deal with in a 30-day period. It sort of worked out, sort of didn't. 
about half of those passed. Uh, one of those, of course, was the bathroom bill in 2017. That didn't work out, even though uh, the little governor would say that uh, he won the argument, even though the bill went down in flames. Um, but the governor this time around is saying he will only place one item at a time on the special session call. Uh -huh. And when the legislature passes the first thing, if they do pass the first thing that he asked them to do, then he'll move on to the next thing and so on. And in watching that, it's just my read of it is that he's trying to rein in the lieutenant governor, who, as you know, right now, and you saw um, a, an op-ed from Patrick in the Dallas Morning News that uh, mm -hmm. saying that uh, Governor Abbott needs to add electricity to the special session, which I don't think the governor wants to do that. Remember, the governor said in a news conference that everything that needed to be done about electricity was done. And it was only five days later that ERCOT was the, the grid operator was telling people to conserve electricity that kind of freaked people out. Uh, so but they don't agree on that big issue. And uh, Republican leadership has no idea what they want to do on elections either. And that's why it melted down during the regular session. Yeah. So we got to the end of the regular session and the Democrats walked out to prevent that from going forward, as you said. Mm -hmm. Is there a risk uh, for Republicans here to to put this into a special session? Because, you know, Scott, this isn't like the, you know, the regular legislative session that goes mm -hmm. for months and months and months. And we've got this flood of bills coming forward. And, you know, I think the voting public kind of stops paying attention because so much is going on. This yeah. really focuses the issue, doesn't it? It does. And it's the governor who's on the hook for that. Uh, the governor is correct to assert that he's the only one who has the authority to call the special session and to say exactly what the topics are that the lawmakers can address. But it also gives him a lot of responsibility. Um, Texans hold the governor accountable uh, for what happens in a special session. It costs about a million dollars in tax dollars for that uh, for that 30 day period. Uh, to pay the legislators and to pay other staff and all of that. Um, and if the governor doesn't have a specific solution in mind for whatever the topic is at the time he calls the special session, it can be a recipe for disaster. That's what happened in 2017. He wasn't exactly sure what all he wanted them to do in that special session. Uh, previous governors understood this and knew this. Governor Perry knew this. Governor Bush knew this. Governor Richards knew this. And I think Governor Abbott has figured it out. And that's why he's going in this go slow approach where he's saying, OK, we're going to do one thing at a time and we'll take it uh, as as I call it uh, is the way that he's approaching it on the elections issue. And I've said this um, you know, a few times. I'll repeat it here. Um, the, you know how at the national level, the national media is correctly covering uh, the elections issues as an as a fight within the Democratic Party. Um, they have the votes to pass something if they want to in Washington. Of course, there's some question about the rules in the U.S. Senate. Uh, but it's basically that they can't all get on the same page about exactly what they want to do about elections at the national level. In Texas, the story has kind of been covered as if it's Governor Abbott versus House Democrats, which hmm. that it, that's part of the story. That's true. But think of this. If the governor, lieutenant governor and the speaker had all been on the same page about exactly what that bill should do, it would have passed months ago. It, hmm. would, the, it would be on the governor's desk. He would sign it. I would compare it to 10 years ago. 2017, compare and contrast, uh, in, uh, in 2011, uh, when voter ID was passed in Texas. Very controversial, uh, bitterly partisan fight, but everybody understood what they were trying to do, right? It would, you have to show your photo ID to be able to vote. It's a straightforward proposal. Uh, but with Senate Bill 7 and trying to do something on elections integrity, uh, but without any agreement among Republican leaders about what that bill actually ought to look like, it led to what, Jason, what you mentioned, which is the Democrats being in position to be able to walk out at the very end of the session. We didn't even know until the last 72 hours of the session what the final version of that bill was going to look like. And then after mm -hmm. the legislative session had concluded, 
Republicans were throwing each other under the bus. You saw all these headlines about how Republican lawmakers did not know. They said they didn't know how certain provisions got in that bill, including uh, provisions that would uh, hurt the uh, Souls to the Polls programs that, uh, that are very popular in the African-American community. They said it was a typo that people could go vote at one instead of 11 in the morning. Um, the, uh, the other big deal was, and this is, I think, something that freaked out a lot of Republicans. There was a provision in there that said that judges could overturn elections more easily with basically with no evidence of, of fraud in an election. And I would think that's something, and some Republicans told me this privately, that they were worried about that because they are the ones who would have uh, QAnon conspiracy theorists running against them in their Republican primaries who would take those elections to the courthouse, even if there was no evidence of election fraud. Uh, and so I think some of those ideas, some of those proposals that ended up in the final version won't be included in, in whatever's talked about during these special sessions. But to the point about the governor needing to understand at the beginning rather than the end what the solution should be until the governor actually lays out what he thinks ought to be in that bill, which he still has not done. Uh, it's difficult to understand how they're going to come to a real solution on that. It comes down to three words, avenge Trump somehow. That's what the elections bill is about. You have a Republican base that is convinced that the former president was cheated out of the election, even though there's no evidence of that. That's flat false, but they think it's true. Um, and you have Republicans like Dan Patrick and Greg Abbott uh, who feel sort of backed in a corner. They need to do something. It was Lieutenant Governor Patrick himself, Jason's who said during uh, the, his news conference, one of the, you remember the news conference where he screamed at all the media and he kept talking about, you know, Mr. American Airlines needs to butt out of this right. and the media needs to read the bill. And he told all of us that we need to read the damn bill, even though, those are his words, read the damn bill, even though it wasn't posted publicly online where anybody could read it. Um, what Patrick said during that press conference that was the most significant was that in Texas, we have increased turnout and secured the ballot year after year, election after election. So that leads you with this question. Well, then why do you need to pass anything now? And they still have not answered that question. And the other question is, what, avenge Trump for, for, for what? He won here in Texas. Yes. And the Republican Secretary of State, uh, who uh, was recently retired, her uh, right. nomination was not ta taken up by the Texas Senate. Some folks thought maybe it was because she said this. Ruth Hughes, the former Secretary of State, had said that elections in Texas were smooth and secure. And so, again, what is the issue here? What needs to be done? Now, the Texas House had an idea. Uh, what was proposed by Texas House leadership was doing away with and making it illegal for some of the things that were done primarily in Harris County, but in some other places as well to try to make accommodations. I think you had uh, the, uh, the former county clerk down there, right. um, uh, the former clerk, Chris Hollins, on the show, talking about some of the things that they had done, including 24-hour voting and uh, also drive-through voting. Those things were not explicitly outlawed by Texas law. The secretary of state uh, had said that Harris County could go ahead with that. Harris County asked the state about it first before they did it. Um, and the House said, well, maybe we need to just go ahead and do away with that. Those were special accommodations that were made during a pandemic to make sure that people felt comfortable being able to go to the polls and not have to be crammed into polling places together. But there was also another accommodation during the pandemic that was made by the governor himself, which was to offer three full weeks of in-person early voting so that people didn't feel they had to be crammed into those places. And I didn't see Republicans. Well, I'll be fair. I did see some Republicans saying that Abbott was wrong to do that, but certainly no Republicans in the legislature took issue with it. God, I'm hearing the same thing that you are from Republicans saying that that whatever is is uh, introduced for the elections bill 
is going to be a lot more watered down. It's not going to be have all the, the Senate uh, restrictions in there as well, too. But my yeah. question is, if it's watered down, that means you get more Republicans on board. They're all on board with it. They can easily pass it. So do the Democrats have any options here? Is there, is there any play that Democrats have to stop this short of walking out like they did at the end of the session, May 30th, short of 2001, short of what, 1979? Mm-hmm. The debate within the Democratic caucus, I'd love to be a fly on the wall for that right now. They, they, they are going through their options. They're trying to figure out what they can do. Um, a, a mistake that a lot of people make, and, and you didn't, uh, but a lot, when I've been asked about this previously, people will say, don't you remember in the last redistricting when the Democrats went to Oklahoma? It wasn't the last redistricting. It was 20 years ago when they did that. Mm-hmm. In the 2011 redistricting, here, here's the thing. Every election has a consequence and that's the that's the old cliche everybody's heard that right. before but but every single one does and what i mean is in two, in 2003 when the democrats fled to oklahoma it's because they had enough numbers in the texas house to be able to deny quorum to the leadership so that they couldn't move forward immediately with the legislation they wanted to pass remember what happened 2008 president obama was elected in 2010, there was the Tea Party backlash, Republican backlash, and you had uh, Republicans winning seats all over Texas and America in places that uh, at the time, a lot of experts would have said they shouldn't even be able to win in those places. It took the numbers in the Texas House to 101 Republicans. If Democrats had wanted to break quorum in 2011, they couldn't. They could have all been playing slots in Las Vegas and it wouldn't matter. Hmm. The, Demo- the Republicans could still do business on the Texas House floor without the Democrats. In the decade in between 2011 and 2021, you had Democrats picking up seats all over the place in Texas, including especially in uh, 2018, uh, when you had 12 new Democrats elected to the Texas House, two new Democrats elected to the Texas Senate, and two congressional districts flipped from Republican to Democratic in uh, DFW and in Houston. And so as Democrats made up more ground, they gained more power and more leverage. So what's going to happen with all of this? Okay, this I'm going to take you down into the weeds, but that's Let's where go. we live at Quorum Report. Ready? Yeah. <laughs> Get out your weed whacker or your machete. We're going to have to go through this. Right now, Republican leadership is on track to do redistricting this year. They have promised that they're going to do that. Uh, they have laid the groundwork for that. But as you know, and stop me if you've heard it before, COVID messed something up. As you mentioned, the mm-hmm. census numbers have not been uh, fully released to the states. The, the initial numbers have come out. And we know that we're getting additional congressional uh, seats in Texas, which is not surprising. Although a lot of folks would argue if we had a better count, maybe we should get three new additional congressional seats instead of two. Right. But we don't have the redistricting data just yet. And here's the debate that I have been uh, listening to among very smart attorneys. I'm not an attorney. I don't play one on my podcast or on yours. But the Texas Constitution says that the apportionment, that the redistricting, the allocation of power, put it that way, Uh, It is to be done by the legislature in the first regular session after publication of the census. What does that mean? The first regular session after the actual data comes in would be in 2023, not this year, not this year. Now, you saw last week Governor Abbott and some other Republican governors sent a letter to the Census Bureau trying to, and I know you reported on this, they were trying to push the Census Bureau to release the data faster They don't know exactly what date they're going to get those numbers just yet, but they're trying to have everything set, uh, ready to go for as soon as the numbers come in, they can start the redistricting process because every minute they haven't approved new maps Mm. is another minute that the primary in March in Texas may be delayed. They don't want to see that happen. It's possible that the Democrats do show up for some of these special sessions, 
but maybe they don't show up for the redistricting special session that the Republicans would like to do because mm-hmm. the map that we have right now is one where there are more Democrats with more leverage, certainly than they had in 2011. And the Democrats would like to keep it that way. And they did prove at the end of the regular session that they are willing to do that. And this is a huge surprise that the Dem- any you know members of the Democratic Party in Texas could get organized enough to do something together and actually have a, a, a at least a small victory, uh, if mm. one that uh, even if it's one that's uh, temporary. You're talking about basically uh, the the best card in Democrats' pocket right now here in Texas going into this first of the special sessions is that they could walk out and and so now it sounds like what you're talking about here since we have so many different issues that could be considered in these perhaps subsequent uh, special sessions that they're going to see where to play that card if they play it at all but 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 they're h- hanging on to that. Yeah, and uh, some folks, especially on the Democratic side, after the quorum break uh, was executed uh, during the regular session, I saw a lot of Democrats asking, why don't they just do this all the time? Well, it's something that's only been done, I think, four or five times in the history of Texas. A quorum break is it is a legitimate legislative maneuver, but it is sort of the nuclear option. You can't do that on everything just because you object to a piece of legislation. You don't like an idea that the majority party is pushing. You can't just leave every time. That won't work. And on redistricting, you would think that Republicans right now, because they want to be able to do it this year, that they would start to, as soon as they could, show some privately, show some maps to some Democrats. I think that they need uh, to be able to do business. If all the Republicans are present in Austin, they need less than 20 Democrats to show up to actually move forward with something to, to have quorum in the Texas House. Um, and so that means that if you're Republicans, you would show maybe 15 or 20 of those Democrats a map that looks good, at least for their own district. Uh, mm-hmm. And then if you can lure enough of them in to to participate in the process, then that means the vast majority of them would come back because then at that point it's happening and they want to be part of the process as well. There are only two kinds of bills that uh, that lawmakers read every word of, and those are ethics bills and redistricting bills because those <laughs> are the ones that affect them. Do you have any indications, though, that those kind of, uh, you know, little peeps at, at maps are happening? Not yet, um, but I, I imagine that's going to start happening at some point. And, you know, the 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 other thing that we haven't said here uh, that is very important, I think, is is one of the it's sort of the story under the story of what's happening nationally and in Texas um, and other states as well are going through this, of course. But um, you have Democrats who can't get on the same page in Washington, as we mentioned. They have two big bills that they're talking about. One is the For the People Act, which is, and I'll say it this way, and my Democratic friends don't like this, uh, but it's basically a laundry list, a wish list of everything, every liberal thing that a Democrat would ever want to do about elections rolled into one bill. It's a big Christmas tree. And I've got some sources in Washington who say, Democratic sources who say, that bill's not going to pass anyway. It's too loaded up with said that will never get through the Senate. That is never going to happen. That's H.R. 1. The one that is maybe of more significance, I think, in my estimation, it is of more significance. It's, it's To me, it's the ball game. H.R. 4 is the John Lewis Voting Rights yeah. Act. And the reason it's the ball game is because what it would do primarily is it would reinstate Department of Justice preclearance for states with histories that of um, states with histories of discrimination in their elections. Um, and when people say that, and for folks who don't know what that means, basically, it's not that they necessarily have to go to Washington for permission, but there's a process anytime you're changing election laws in a state that has a history of discrimination, like Texas and a lot of other southern states, um, they would have to go through the Department of Justice, a process called preclearance, where they show they have to prove up that what we're doing isn't discriminatory. That's before anybody even goes to court. 
uh, over the thing. It, it, there has to be this uh, partnership. And they had to do this whether there were Democratic presidents or Republican presidents. Um, and there is a reason for it. I mean, we are in a state where there was a day when if you were African-American and you went to vote and someone took your picture and sent it to your boss, they would fire you for having voted. Um, we live in a place, we live in, in, you know, in, 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 in a place where there are counties that used to do tests like this, where black people would be asked questions like, can you tell me how, can you tell me how many jelly beans are in that jar? Yeah. Can you name all the state capitals alphabetically? Trick was they didn't ask the white people that if they were going to register to vote. Um, so people, conservatives will say, that's what happened decades ago. That's what happened before the civil rights era and uh, you know the original uh, Voting Rights Act was passed. But there was a bill that was introduced uh, that would have done things like cut down on the number of polling places in minority uh, communities in Texas. Um, and that bill was not introduced in the 60s or 70s. It was a few months ago. It was called Senate Bill 7. Uh, and so the idea that that kind of bill would move forward without any kind of preclearance um, uh, requirement, uh, that should be concerning to folks. And this is the race. The race is on, uh, whether it's an elections bill that gets passed this summer by the Texas legislature or redistricting that gets passed later this year in the fall by the Texas legislature. Big question. Well, the Democrats in Washington, where they have the majority, are they going to pass preclearance before any of those things happen in Texas hmm. so that that process would be in place before any of these new election laws happen? And according to my sources, folks uh, who were uh, privy to the conversations between you remember and you reported on uh, Dem Texas uh, legislative Democrats going to Washington mm -hmm. and making their big pitch uh, to the Democrats up there and talking, you know, speaking alongside the speaker up there, Nancy Pelosi. It was my understanding that some of the congressional Democrats didn't understand how important the preclearance deal is yeah, for wow. those Democrats in Texas. And basically the argument they're making, this is the way I, this is my redneck version of how I would say it, and other controversies about the history of this aside, if Democrats in Washington don't pass preclearance, they are leaving Democrats in Texas to defend the Alamo. Good luck. <clears throat> So, so what happens is, is the John Lewis uh, uh, Voting Rights Act, is that, is that going to pass? What, what are you hearing up there? Because that, that's getting a heck of a lot less attention. And frankly, that's not one that, that, uh, that I've called on. I've called on H.R. 1, but not on mm -hmm. H.R. 4. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, this uh, For the People Act, it's the one that, um, that Beto O'Rourke is talking about yeah. in all of his rallies. And I, I mean, he's probably, I'm sure he's using, I haven't gotten these text messages, but I'm sure he's using his, text, his, his vast text messaging right. and email list to tell people to call their member of Congress and pass the other one, H.R. 1, the For the People Act, you don't hear as much about um, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, which I think they're missing a, a big deal on that. Not sure, but I, but I would say this, and I know you reported on this, um, the U.S. Senate Democrats do seem to be more united now than they were previously. They've got uh, Joe Manchin, mm -hmm. Kristen Sinema, some of these other uh, holdouts as far as changing the rules and and doing some things differently to try to pass voting rights legislation in Washington, I would give them this perspective without telling anybody what to do. Uh, in 2011, <clears throat> if I could be so bold, in 2011, <laughs> when the Texas legislature passed the voter ID law, uh, at that time, the Texas Senate had a rule that said two-thirds of senators who were present had to agree to move forward with a bill, the old two-thirds rule, which right. has been taken, later it was taken down to three-fifths, and now it's five-ninths which I challenge you to find on a measuring cup. <laughs> that, that's where Dan Patrick moved it to. At the time, 
then State Senator Tommy Williams, who was uh, you know debating the rules of the Texas Senate on the floor, he proposed, and the Senate adopted, and it's a simple majority vote to adopt a rule. Um, he proposed that one piece of legislation be exempt from the two-thirds rule. Do you know what it was? Redistricting? What is it? Do not voter ID. Mm. And so the, it it had wow. failed in previous it had wow. it had failed in previous legislative sessions because the rules were preventing it from moving forward, just like what's happening with voting rights legislation in Washington. And the Republican leadership in the Texas Senate here in 2011 made an exception for the voter ID bill so that they could pass it without any Democrats going along with it. And they did that. Uh, and in the meantime, as Lieutenant Governor Patrick has said, we have secured the vote and increased turnout. So what do we need this new stuff for? Wow. So so bottom line here, uh, going forward into this first of the what could be several sessions, mm -hmm. uh, I, I think a lot of Democrats are bracing and thinking, oh, you know, they're going to kill us in redistricting and they're going to kill sure. us with this uh, new voting uh, legislation. Uh, the bottom line is, though, that there could be many fights within the Republican Party over these things as well. And, and so it's not all etched into stone just yet. It's not. And it's a good question. I, you know, I think with Lieutenant Governor Patrick and with the new speaker, uh, the rookie speaker uh, from Beaumont, Texas, Dade Phelan, who we haven't mentioned, there does seem to be some antipathy there. We had um, we had reported at quorumreport.com that late in the session in a private meeting with Republican senators, um, Patrick had told those senators that Phelan is and this was the uh, the word I got from the sources in the room that Phelan is the worst speaker he's ever worked with. That Governor Abbott is putting too much faith in this rookie. Um, and you, do, you may remember that we also reported another shameless plug at quorumreport.com. Hey, go for it, man. That the speaker late in the session was not even allowed to enter the Senate chamber one evening because he didn't have one of the COVID wristbands. The <laughs> lieutenant governor had said that he had to have a COVID wristband. This is the same lieutenant governor who, by the way, was on TV with Tucker Carlson on Fox News Channel about a year ago uh, telling people that, hey, maybe elderly folks should at least be given an option if they want to sacrifice themselves for the economy and for the sake of the economy and our grandchildren and all of that. Mm -hmm. He's presiding over the Texas Senate where they still had not relaxed COVID rules all the way through the session. When the House, to their credit, had done that, they had uh, relaxed the rules uh, they said members didn't have to wear masks anymore. And uh, there's, you know, we still have a First Amendment around here. So the press was allowed to have greater access. Once again, Lieutenant Governor Patrick never did that. And the Senate never did that. And so they rejected the uh, the Speaker of the House uh, one evening when he was trying to enter the Senate chamber. Uh, the, and there are other examples of the two of them not getting along. And there is, as we mentioned, the fact that Republican leadership, whether it was Senator Brian Hughes from Mineola uh, or Briscoe Kane from the Houston area, and some others, they were all throwing each other under the bus about what ended up in that elections bill. I don't think the relationship between Patrick and Phelan is going to get much better uh, just because we're going to have a special session now. Um, and so if their relationship doesn't get much better, it's it's hard to know how it'll work out when you have two presiding officers who don't necessarily trust each other. And as the former Speaker of the House, Joe Strauss, used to say when he was in office, he would say, look, in the legislative process, if the House and Senate don't do something together, then that thing doesn't happen. And that's exactly why some of these bills fell apart. We started this conversation talking about Governor Abbott, what he's going to do for the special session. But we also started talking about politics with it as well, too, with, with uh, Donald Trump. I want to go back to to how we started this podcast, and that is uh, with the challenger to Abbott, Don Huffines, the Republican former state senator from uh, the Dallas area. 
Don is interesting because Don has a lot of money. He could, you know, self-fund himself. He's very popular with the uh, the Trump folks, but Trump endorsed Abbott. So where does that leave Don Huffines? Because we're obviously a long ways away from the Republican primary. You know, I, I, this is the ideology conforming to the individual instead of the other way around. I'm not the first person to say that, but it is just um, a real shift, especially and you know, covering Texas politics for so many years, um, as, as y'all have and I have. Um, we have forever listened to candidates in Republican primaries talk about how, uh, you know, I'm the most conservative. Uh, uh, the other candidates, they don't know what they're doing. They, you know, they might they say they're conservative, but I'm the rock ribbed conservative. I'm the one who's really going to go down to Austin or Washington and fight for conservative values. And now everything is about Trump. So let's take another race, for example, in the race for attorney general. Three candidates now on the Republican side, and I love that this is going to get mixed up and it's a, you know, it's a big scramble for AG. Uh, you have the guy in office who, with state of Texas resources, sued on behalf of the former president to try to overturn election results in other states. Um, you have the current land commissioner. Who, and I had tweeted this out. I think it got about six million impressions on Twitter. Well, I didn't think it was that significant, but apparently it was controversial. A koozie that was handed out at George P. Bush's campaign kickoff event. On one side, it just says George P. Bush for attorney general, which is you know standard fare. It's got a picture of the Texas flag, not the Chilean flag, which was accidentally used by Don Huffins. <laughs> Oh, geez, yeah. You know, it's the clip art. You got to check the clip <laughs> art um, on the other side of the koozie. It had a, an image of Trump and George P. Bush shaking hands. And under the image, it had a quote from Trump saying, and this is pretty close. I'm paraphrasing it was something like this. Uh, this is the Bush that got it right. This is the Bush that likes me. I like him. That's from President Trump. Everything is about President Trump. Now, you would think that Paxton the sitting attorney general who sued on Trump's behalf might have his endorsement, but he doesn't, which I think is very interesting. Um, then you have a third candidate, Ava Guzman, who in her in, in former Supreme Court justice just uh, just quote unquote retired from the bench so that she could run for AG um, in her campaign kickoff. You don't hear anything about Trump. This may be sort of the other path forward, not not yeah. against Trump, not not for Trump, just not really talking yeah. about Trump. But let's say Trump jumps in and endorses Paxton or Bush. They both have made their they have staked their candidacies on President Trump and support for him and whether he likes them. So if you do that, that is going that is pushing all your chips in at the casino on on that. Right. And so if Trump says, you know, Paxton's my guy, then Bush is cratered. He's done. You can count him out tomorrow if that's what happens. If Trump endorses one of them while he's on the border with Abbott, you know, the other person is gone. And then I guess you have a race between Guzman and whoever's left standing. Um, but when you make everything about fealty to one person, then that one person can pull the rug out from under you, which is, you know, if you had a more stable person holding that other end of the rug, that'd be a different calculus. But that's not true with Trump. Yeah, as, far, as far as Huffines goes, d does Huffines have a shot because Trump has already endorsed uh, Abbott in this race? This is a really good question. And thanks for refocusing me. <laughs> so there's one other candidate potentially that we did not mention which is the outgoing chairman of the Republican Party, Alan West, who in my time of covering the Republican Party of Texas, which is about 20 years, I've never seen anything like this. The guy comes in um, from another state. There was talk about whether he would run from a run for a uh, run for Congress from Dallas, Fort Worth, I think, for the seat. Uh, the one that he was rumored for was the uh, one that's held by Colin Allred right. now. 
the former Pete Sessions uh, seat. He didn't do that. He ran for uh, state party chairman. And in his time as chairman, was so critical of the Republican governor that not only did he criticize him all the time, call him a king and a, a tyrant and all of that. He called the Republican speaker a traitor. Um, he was basically calling the lieutenant governor, uh, Dan Patrick, a squish on the issue of guns. He also sued the Republican governor over some of his accommodations made during the pandemic uh, for people voting uh, early. Um, so I hadn't seen that before. Uh, he continues to uh, attack Republican leaders, and there's all this talk that he'll get into the race for governor as well. So how does somebody like Huffines or West have a shot right. at unseating someone who's a pretty popular governor? I mean, all you know, his numbers went down. They cratered during sort of the height of the pandemic restrictions last summer, uh, even among Republicans who were pretty angry with him. Republicans, of course, thought he was doing too much. Democrats said he wasn't doing enough. It was really no win situation for him. But his numbers have started to come back, as far as we can tell, and his internal numbers probably look better. And he's, uh, you know, making this big appeal to the Trump supporters. Um, but do you remember there was a time when none of us could have imagined that a sitting lieutenant governor would be beaten in a statewide race by a solicitor general who most yeah. people don't even know what that job is or who holds it. Um, but there was a four way race, right, for uh, for U.S. Senate. Uh, including that lieutenant governor, David Dewhurst. The two men who were left standing went to a runoff in the middle of the summer because the primary had been delayed. Why? Because of redistricting in 2011, right? So this is the exact same timeline that's shaping up right now. We we potentially have, well, we for sure have delayed redistricting. That means we'll have a delayed primary in all likelihood. It will and be March if 1st, there's a, yeah. If there's a crowded race for governor, it's exactly how Abbott loses to somebody like West or Huffines wow. in that race that I'm talking about. Of course, that's how we got Senator Ted Cruz. So Republicans are laser focused on all of that going on. Does that give Democrats any potential openings uh, with all of that going on? You know, it, it's possible. Um, and I'm somebody who's always criticized as being so down on the Democrats. They can never win. Why do they, you know, if they're the smartest people, why do they lose all the time? Um the numbers are different now. You know, in, in 2012, um, you had uh, Cruz win that Republican primary runoff by being the most right wing, most conservative candidate in an election that was, you know, participated in by several hundred thousand people in that primary uh, runoff. Um, and then, of course, it's just a given. If you win that, then you're going to win uh, the, the general election. It's a, the general election in Texas for many years has been sort of a formality. The election of consequence has been the Republican primary. Um, but that wasn't true in, uh, in 2018 when you had Beto O'Rourke and some of these other candidates like Mike Collier uh, and uh, others who were pretty close. They didn't win, but they were really close to, to beating Republicans. And you know, the little governor, Dan Patrick, I'm told, was just freaked out on election night in 2018. He had spent all this money, uh, you know, millions of dollars uh, versus a guy who could not barely raise a million dollars in Mike Collier. And he almost loses that race. And he's thinking, what in the world has happened here? The state has changed some. Uh, Republicans in the meantime have changed some of the rules of the game. Uh, there's no more um, straight ticket voting, for example, uh, which is a, a big structural problem for the Democrats who were making up ground, uh, you know, leading up to 2018. Uh, so, you know, if you have somebody like Huffines as the uh, candidate for governor in November, you might have an opening for a Democrat uh, to be able to come in and say, look, this guy is way too extreme. If you didn't like Greg Abbott, they, they could make a case to even some Republicans that, you know, someone like Huffines or West is way too extreme. Of course, the problem is 
Democrats only have one candidate that I know of or have heard, you know, a rumor about running for governor and, and not much other bench. And of course, the one that we've all heard about is uh, Beto O'Rourke. Yeah, no doubt. Scott, love getting down into the weeds with you, man. Scott is, uh, like we said, like you just heard there for the past 30, 40 minutes, he is one of the most well-sourced, uh, well, uh, you know, well-known guys at the Capitol roaming the halls. He always helps me out when I'm down there sitting at the little tables when we used to be able to sit at the tables. Uh, up there in the uh, on the floor of both chambers. We'll get it going again for you. What's that? <laughs> we're, we're working on that. Yeah, we've see, got it. it's it's, I, it's reinstated in the house, but not in the Senate. Good. I, so. I, I don't want to go down and sit in the gallery. I want to be down there where it's going on. But, but right, Scott's, where the action is, sure. Scott's the guy that I always go to and say, what was that procedural vote just about? Scott, Scott mm-hmm. uh, thank you so much for the time, man. I always appreciate this. And I know as we get into this uh, some more, man, I'm going to call you back if you don't mind. Don't lose the number. We'll talk to you soon. All right, man. Thanks a lot. Wealth of information, man. Thank you. And and thank you guys very much for listening as well, too. Uh, Wheeler, you know, I I just love love talking to Scott or somebody who's that plugged in uh, down at the Capitol because this is so fluid, constantly changing. And, uh, you know, as these sessions ramp up, like Scott said, as they uh, as the governor gives them, you know, piece after piece to tackle since he's learned that lesson for what happened in 2017 with the 20 item list. Uh, mm-hmm. this, this is going to be a busy summer politically, at least in Austin. And some of these are really hot button issues too. So, you know, maybe we don't see the, the public necessarily tune away and, and kind of get in vacation mode like you are right now, uh, and actually paying attention to some of these things that are going on because the spotlight, it sounds like is going to be kind of shining on each one of these things individually instead of just this cascade of different bills about different subjects so that should be interesting too to see what's going on just outside the dome in austin as well Uh, no doubt i stopped at the heb when i was down here uh, going through austin the other day and there's all kinds of beer that that i hadn't seen before you know north texas so i'll pick up a few six packs and bring back to us man Please do that because HEB uh, is finally uh, doing some expansion up here, uh, you know, right. and, and getting into some more areas in North Texas, but it's going to be a while right. still. HEB is not the sponsor, but we appreciate HEB's beer selection <laughs> at least. So, Hey, thanks so much for listening, guys. We appreciate it. We'll see you again next week.